Is is somebody being bombed? <laughs> That's Andre. That's uh, <laughs> Long Island. Long Island. Bootstrapped FM seventy seven. Our guest is JD Grafham, not Graham at all. And um, this is our this is our like third super duper consultancy episode, right? Except not really. Yeah, something like that, third or fourth, maybe something like that. Over the years, we've had a couple of these. We mix it up, but he's kind of a hybrid, so this will be interesting. Right, right. So, so last time we came back from, um, we came back from or the Bacon Biz, where JD gave a talk, and I, I thought right away we got to have this dude on the show because, because there's an interesting story in there. Yeah. Um, so for the, let's give some background on uh, on. On this deal, or maybe he should give the background. He should give. So I can't keep track of it. Is it? It's 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 two consultancies, right, JD? It's simple. What is it? It's simple focus and did I get that right? Yes, yeah, simple focus and clear function. Clear function and simple focus. One is an agency and one is a development shop. Yeah, yeah, agency, design agency. Right. Uh, you know, product focused, and, and then and then a dev shop, which is product focused. Now, are these two are like in separate physical spaces. Uh, right now, we have one office, but around the beginning of the year, Simple Focus is going to move offices because we're packed in like sardines and we're just out of room. But Clear Functions started in the Simple Focus office uh, mm-hmm. just because we had the room at the time. That was about two years ago. But ultimately, they're going to be in, in separate spaces. Mm. You see that again? All the products are going to zero, but all the agencies are thriving and growing. Oh, exploding out of the, um. So, so give a little bit of background because it's not only the the agencies that we brought you on. You also have like four or five products, SASs. Yeah, I guess it depends on what day you ask. So you're super busy. I'm so give us, yeah, give us the give us whole thing. Give us the overarching of everything in your little world here, and then we'll dive in. Yeah, that sounds good. So I started Simple Focus in 2009, and our specialty uh, was. And when I say our, I mean it, you know it's it's my company 100. percent But there was like you know one other guy, and so uh, we cut to use the plural. You know, in 2009, our specialty was was uh, usability and, and and UI design, and um, I've grown that practice over the years. And then uh, a couple of things started happening around the same time. About three years ago, I uh, bought Pulse App which is a cash flow management tool for small businesses. And um, that was an acquisition. Um, I, I did the acquisition because, I, you know, I didn't know much about SaaS businesses and SaaS metrics at the time, but I looked at the numbers for the business and I thought, well, this is a product, right? This is an app. And the, the business case for buying one of those looks really good. Stable cash flow, you know, low customer turnover, etc. And so I was able to convince my my, myself and then ultimately my wife to let me spend a bunch of money and buy an app and that worked out really well and uh, around the same time um, I was having conversations with a potential co-founder of a dev shop because Simple Focus was always you know UI focused and design focused and brand focused and uh, you know designer culture is a lot different than developer culture and um, one one possible path would be to go and build you know, a full-service agency that is design and dev, which is a, a, a great path to take. Um, but me personally, I'm more comfortable on the design side of things, and so I partnered up with a guy named Colin Neller to start Clear Function. Um, 
and Clear Function is a, a dev shop. And, uh, you know, I helped uh, in the early days maybe with some introductions to, you know, some people on uh, uh, who, who needed uh, dev projects uh, done and they were maybe over the head of what Simple Focus was capable of, even though we do a lot of development. It's, it's you know, lightweight development. And Colin and the team he's built are really good at, at hardcore development. And so that that's the origins a couple of years ago of Clear Function. And so Simple Focus and Clear Function, and those are the agencies. And then there's, you know, the Pulse deal, uh, which was an app that I bought, um, JD personally bought. And then um, stumbled across another opportunity by another app that was for sale from a, a guy named Andrew Wilkinson, who runs Metal App. So I bought Ballpark from Andrew, uh, which is an invoicing and time tracking app. And then, um, and then I looked back on what I had done, and I was like, oh, my God, what am I doing? <laughs> like, I'm, I'm a buyer of apps. And the next thing I knew, people wanted to, like, tell me about their app they had for sale. And I started looking at a lot of deals rather than just the two or three that I had kind of looked at before with Pulse and Park. And the next thing I know, like, um, people think I'm a buyer. And so I started buying apps, you know. Um, ended up buying Temper and Pop Survey from David Hauser, uh, who who – had has just recently sold Grasshopper. Those apps were like uh, you know founded by Josh Pigford, who's doing parametrics now. And then um, most recently uh, completed a really fantastic deal with Garrett Diamond to buy Sifter. And so those are the uh, five apps that I've bought over the years. And then there's another app that we started back way before Pulse. Really, we started trying to build our own app, which is Project List. And Project List doesn't really, it's not really a business. It's still some app that we tried to build and, you know, we weren't really successful at getting it, you know, market fit. And so it doesn't really have but a handful of customers. Um, and so that's the portfolio. Uh, not to not to talk too bad about Project List. I think it's a great little product. It's just, um, I think the story there that's interesting is that there's a lot of unknowns and risks in starting an app and um, putting all the time and, and, and money and resources and energy in, and into building something that you don't know if it's going to work. And so what's worked for me is to, uh, you know, find SaaS businesses that are for sale where their business metrics are kind of known quantities. And because I had the successful agencies, you know, I was uh, in a good cash position and I was also very creative with some financing and, and whatnot. I was able to uh, complete some deals and buy existing apps rather than being a startup person. Now, how big are the consultancies, the agencies? Um, the, the number I, I throw around is that between the two agencies, we've got 30 people, roughly 20 on Simple Focus and 10 on Clear Function. So, so a typical like, agency founder, like we spoke to Matt Weinberg, a couple episodes back, right? And if you ask Matt, he's got his hands full just running that one shop, like full time. And you're running two essentially agencies full time and then all these products. And I have no idea where you find the time or like what, what your daily schedule looks like. Sure. Well let's 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 recalibrate a little bit about that then because um I I like to say that I am the owner of Simple Focus, and, and I'm a co-owner of Clear Function, and I'm an owner of the apps. So I am not the daily business manager on all of these things. 
I see. Um, so what I've done is, um, you know, is, uh, you know, I, I've said, hey, uh, so I, I'm, I'm the owner of Simple Focus, and I spend a lot of my energy on Simple Focus because it is the largest business that brings in the most revenue and, and um, you know, wh- whatever, uh, you know, uh, reputation I have in the industry that, that brings the business in and the conversations I get to have because, you know, I, I do the speaking and I, you know, buy apps and, and you know, the, the blog posts and the podcast interviews and, and, um, and I wrote a book and all that, that, you know, that, that means that Simple Focus kind of uh, got its start in terms of, you know, business leads and referrals because of, you know, my name personally. And what I've done over the years is I've learned to be just really good at delegating the, the, the day-to-day operational tasks of the business. And so I can still sort of serve as the face of the company. Um, but then we've got just a really good, solid leadership team in place here at Simple Focus that delivers the, the A-plus work. And, um, you know, uh, that's a four-person team. Uh, and, and, and then there's me, so that, you know, the five of us comprise the leadership team of Simple Focus. On the clear function side of things, um, I'm responsible, again, just for, you know, some, uh, you know, relationships and introductions and sales and some of that sort of stuff. Um, but the CEO of that company is Colin Neller, and he is the day-to-day, you know, manager of that company, the GM of that company, and so he's running that business. And so I've got, you know, a leadership team at Simple Focus that manages most of that, and then I've got a CEO at Clear Function who manages that, and, and my role is, is, you know, maybe some some of it is just being the face of the business and being the owner of it. And as far as the apps go, um, Simple Focus and Clear Function um, have little maintenance contracts and treat them like clients. Mm-hmm. And Simple Focus and Clear Function are very effective um, at, you know, doing client work. And so if Ballpark is a client of Simple Focus is, whether it's a small client or a big client, Simple Focus knows how to do that. So then the SaaS generate whatever revenue they need to, to be able to pay those invoices, right? Correct. I mean, they, it, you know, they, they pay crap rates. But the idea is that Simple Focus and Clear Function staff are the ones who run the, the product companies. Um, so if there's a complex, you know, development need, then we would engage Clear Function and, you know, pay a slightly discounted rate. Um, you know, and, and Clear Function's team is, since Sifter, for example, is a more, one of the more technical apps that we run, you know, Clear Function's a more technical team. And so, you know, they spend, a, a, you know, however many hours it is per week doing customer support emails and responding to sales inquiries and answering questions and things like that from customers. And then I've got one person on the Simple Focus team who more or less is the product manager for the other three apps, um, Ballpark, Temper, and Pulse. Uh, Calvin is his name. He's awesome. And uh, he does a lot of the email support and product management for those three apps. Um, I didn't mention Pop Survey because, and hey, this is an exclusive, you guys. <laughs> <laughs> Sold Pop Survey a few weeks ago. You just uh, bought it. You know, um, yeah, yeah. That's that's another conversation to have. <laughs> but the 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 I did just buy it, and I did just sell it. Um, and um, it's just when you when you when you buy a business, it 
you know, um, it's a learning process for me. And one of the things that I learned was that pop survey uh, wasn't uh, maybe big enough to justify the expense. And so the margin wasn't there that I was enjoying on some of the other apps. And so mm. I wasn't actively shopping it out, but somebody reached out who I think would be a better fit um, and a competitor. And they, you know, gobbled it up for a you know, very fair price. Mm. Yeah. You use yeah. a broker for all this stuff, like the FE? Uh, nope. No, I, I don't use a broker. Oh, you don't? No, I mean, I will use FE International or, or another broker if, 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 you know, it's right for the deal. I, mm-hmm. They're great guys, Thomas and David, I've worked with closely, and I'm on their podcast. But um, FE, you know, um, I think that the size of the pop survey deal was, was even smaller than some of their smaller deals. And mm-hmm. so it, it really didn't justify the the need. I mean, we probably spent a grand total of 30 to 45 minutes on the transaction of pop survey because – it was a, it was a, you know, a, a small enough uh, deal, and there was enough trust between me and the buyer that, that, um, you know, uh, he just wanted access to the code base, and I just wanted the, the, the meager sum of dollars, and we just exchanged those and shook hands. Basically, I mean, there's a contract in place; it's an asset purchase deal, but um, it was small enough that FE wouldn't even be interested in it. I worked with them on the deal with Sifter, but they were representing the seller, Garrett. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, frankly, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a very special kind of buyer when it comes to apps in, in the buyer world. Right. And I know what I want and, um, it, and, and to figure out what I want takes about you know, 10 or 15% of, of all the data that FE prepares. And so I can skim it pretty quickly and get what I need to be comfortable with the deal. But then there are other buyers who need all of the extra data and all of the extra, you know, um, due diligence and and technical, um, you know, research into you know the state of the app. But you know, one of the things that I like to um, you know use to help 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 my case when I'm negotiating with somebody is that like you know I can do when I see something I want I know what I know that I want it and um, because it, it fits certain criteria and then a lot of the other stuff that takes forever you know i don't need to fool with and so i can do a deal quicker and and it's for the right reasons and it's good fit and there's a lot of um you know transactional stuff that that uh is is a lot simpler um when i'm involved in a deal and i think you know you ask effie what it's like to work with me it's it's the same thing and i and you know i'm happy to work with a broker and and when there's there's not a need, in my opinion, for a broker. I, you know, I, I, you know, I, I don't always feel the need to go through a broker for for process reasons. Mm-hmm. So I can do a deal and make it simple and quick. And you know, my commitment is always to take good care of the product, make sure that it's in good hands. Um, uh, and you know, our team is good for that. Take care of the customers. And you know, sometimes when it doesn't work out like Pop Survey, I wasn't giving it to somebody who's going to wind it down. I was giving it to somebody who's actually going to do more with it than we were going to do with it. You mentioned during your talk at uh, Bacon Business, you mentioned just now that you have those criteria. What are those criteria? I imagine all those things you buy have something in common for you oh, to be yeah. able to find them attractive. You know, um, the most important thing uh, on the list of criteria is is so, like, warm and fuzzy and loosey-goosey, but it is that the seller is selling for the right reasons. It just has to be a fit for the portfolio that I'm building, and they have got to want to sell to somebody like me whose commitment maybe isn't top dollar, 
but is to take care of the customers and take care of the product because a lot of times the the people who 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 spend all their life energy and uh, building these apps, um, you know, uh, are very attached to them and care deeply about them, but for practical reasons, need to move on to something more important or a better opportunity. And so that's the most important thing is that you're selling for the right reasons. I, I would imagine that a typical scenario, you know, for a hacker is, you know, we build something, put something together, uh, maybe minimum viable, maybe a little bit more effort into it, and then launch that and maybe get a couple of customers in. So maybe the thing is making $1,000 a month, but it's been making $1,000 a month for like a year. And they're not really doing marketing. They're not really pushing it. They're not really able to do it or interested in doing that. So that's where it's sitting. That's that's where it's plateauing at. So is that something that you can do something with? Is that something where you say, I'm interested? or It's is, generally going to be too small for me. Mm-hmm. Um but I'll, I'll always look at a good product and a good opportunity. Um, the, the general rule of thumb, and, and this is one of the things that I learned with, with Pop Survey, without getting too specific about Pop Survey's financials, uh, just because of respect for the new owner. Um, but if something's doing less than $40,000 a year, mm-hmm. it's harder for me to make the margins that I need to on it because I'm interested in 85% margins and just the cost of running an app that's making $30,000 a year means that the margins at best are going to be 50% just because, you know, you can count on $1,000 a month going towards hosting and crap like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, $10,000 a year is just going to go towards keeping the app live. And and, and, and so, you know, if it's... Um, you know, when you get up over thirty thousand dollars and you get to forty thousand and climbing from there, that's where um, you know, I guess numbers wise, a deal becomes interesting to me. If I'm, um, you know, talking ranges, you know, I, I, I'm interested in apps that are making you know fifty to three hundred fifty thousand dollars a year mm-hmm. in, in annual recurring revenue. Those are going to be good fits for me right now, but. The longer I do this, I'm sure the, the the larger my appetite will get. But right now, those are the types of that's the size of business that I'm looking for. But you know that business that's making a thousand dollars a month. If if you're a hacker and, and it's only costing you two or three hundred dollars a month to run it, you know my advice would be like just keep it going. <laughs> Don't sell it. Yeah, there's not a there's not a huge market for something of that size, um, other than friends, you know, uh, and and fellow hackers who might want to give it a, you know, see if they can you know breathe uh, breathe breathe life into it and try and help it grow to you know another level. But um, that's uh you know size is another factor that I that I look at criteria. Um, a couple of other criteria just to go ahead and finish out answering your question. Um, I think that uh, another very important factor is, is, is uh, besides the, the, the seller's reasons for selling being, you know, noble and good um, and not trying to like offload a piece of junk, right? Um, and and the, uh, the other criteria being size. So uh, I also look for apps that aren't growing a great deal. Mm-hmm. Um, because those command a premium, and I'm not the person that's going to come in and necessarily um, buy stuff for a premium. I'm, I'm looking for something that's going to be a little bit more stable and has found its comfortable size and comfortable place in the market. So like your example that it's been bringing in $1,000 a month forever, right? If it's been bringing in $5,000 a month for three years, 
um, and there's no marketing expense, then it's something that I'm very interested in. And not a ton of people are interested in that because it's not a growing business, right? And the, I think the common wisdom is that it, you know if you're not growing, you're dying. But I think in software as a service, or or at least in recurring revenue businesses where you know you're getting renewals, um, I think that's a good place to be in. It's a very secure place to be in, and and in a way, it's like you know um, I'm offering to you know uh, give you a you know, uh, you know, a, a bunch of money now in exchange for your, you know, revenue stream. And for a, for a lot of people, that's a really um, attractive deal, especially when they've, you know, um, got something else lined up, like a you know, sweet job or another product that's taking off and needs their attention. Because one of the things that I'm good at is delegating out those duties, and so I can manage multiple smaller revenue streams you know, without it consuming me and making me work 80 hours a week. You know, when I was, sorry. Yeah. No, you go ahead. Uh, I just want to say, when I was growing up um, in Brooklyn, there's a Russian community. So you got a lot of these Russian businessmen who are like, I have seven businesses. Like, I have ten businesses. And I'm like, you're full of shit. Or you're in the mob. And <laughs> you're the only one who seems like genuinely, for real, established that sort of context for yourself and it seems to be working out so just well because he's not uh <laughs> actually you know he didn't have to start those 10 businesses right like that's the thing that's so brutal is when you start those ten, you know, that's like that's the death march but um i think that that's kind of the jd's unique angle here right is that most i'm sure most people who listen to this podcast are either either engineers who are going to implement their idea or at the very least are going to be the person who's starting it up and is going to want to work those eight hours a week to grow it into a big thing that can take over their job, you know, so they don't have to work and they can just work on their business and all that stuff. Um, but yeah, these apps that fall in the middle, uh, it's not, not really clear what you can do with them. And like we had to think that same thing with snappy, which was it's, you know, it's, it needs money to run. Um, but it's, not big enough to really matter uh, compared to the rest of our business. And we, we probably should have just JD'd ourselves, right? <laughs> and just said, fine, Snappy will just sit there and run and we won't really pay it too much mind. We'll keep it running and we'll make a, you know, a couple thousand a month or whatever. But, um, but being who I am and I think who a lot of the bootstrap uh, listeners probably are, um, you have that personal connection to it and it's like, oh, it's not going to grow bigger. You know, I've got all this effort into it. It's not going to get big enough. Forget it. Um, so having that, that dispassion or, you know, like the godfather sort of, you know, it's not personal, it's strictly business uh, mindset, which is a very hard place to get to. And I think that's, that's awesome to have that um, is, is really key to the whole thing, which is great. Yeah, I so think we, the mentality is it's impossible to break out of because like we're both technically running businesses, but like you couldn't call what we do on a daily basis the same at all with totally different sides yeah. of the world. You know, that's a, there's an interesting tension that you brought up there, Ian, um, about being dispassionate about the business side of it because I, I really do try to be very, um, you know, heady and, 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 and intellectualize it and, and take some of the, the passion out of it. Right. But here's the other thing. I, I, I truly am passionate about, um, you know, things like usability and product design. I really am a product person through and through. And I love a good product. And when I do, like, find myself 
um, uh, occasionally working long hours, it's usually because like I'm really into what's going on with the product. Yeah, uh, and and I've delegated all the other stuff of running a business that 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 isn't as attractive to me, or you know, that other people can handle. So I think that's one thing. Here's the other thing about being like very dispassionate about it. With with Snappy, I'll tell you what I would have done. Ian, wrap sure. your head around this. All right. I, so you think, oh gosh, well, Snappy, you know, it wasn't enough revenue to justify, you know, um, you know, con- compared to the rest of the business, right? And and and, and that's that's true. But what you can do with $2,000 a month is go down to your local Porsche dealer. <laughs> Drive it around. And, and lease a 911, right? right. <laughs> with $2,000 a month. Right. It's, it's sort of an exorbitant expense. It's a, it's a luxury item. But like, you know, whether it's that or whether it's your, 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 your mortgage, just look at that extra $2,000 a month as my house is taken care of. Right. Except if you consider how much money Ian put into making Snappy. Well, that's a whole different thing. We'll get down that path. But, that's uh, in the past. I mean, that's right. that's one under the bridge, right? I mean, who cares? The money's gone. It's not coming back. Could have bought two Porsches straight out the cash. <laughs> yeah, I think there is um, – you know, the other thing for me is most of your apps. I don't know if all of them uh, – I'm trying to think. I guess I think all of them really – are, are like this. I don't know. It's a little bit of a subtle distinction, but you know, there are certain B2B apps that are like truly mission critical and you know, the snappy and help desk stuff falls on that line. Um, and other ones where you can be down for eight or 10 hours and it's not, people aren't like totally losing their shit. And so mm-hmm. for me, that was also part of it was like uh, to have something that was mission critical. And if it's down, you know, there's a level of stress there that like that $2,000 or whatever it was, right, is is great in a certain <laughs> sense. Uh, but mm-hmm. on the flip side, there, that's that's costing me mental bandwidth, right? Yeah. And so, because I'm passionate about it. Like, if I didn't care, if I could say, listen, this thing doesn't make a lot of money. I don't care. If, it might go down. People are going to be mad. It's not that much money, so I don't care if they leave mad. Like, that's where I, sh- in a certain sense, right? Like, that's the Gordon Gecko proper mindset. But on the flip side, at least then, that's not where I was. It's kind of interesting because I think it was a good learning experience. And if I had to do it over again, I might choose differently. Um, or if I have the opportunity to sort of have this mindset again, that might be the case. But uh, but where it was at that time, I personally, I couldn't do that. You know, well, I wasn't, well, let's I wasn't there yet. Yeah, let's be clear. Our apps weren't going down for eight hours at a time. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but, I think it was snappy, right? But it's not. Yeah. It's more the idea that it's out yeah. there. Um, well. So there is a funny story that I want to tell you about uh, a customer uh, interaction we had. So, Because um, it could have very well been that Ballpark was going down for eight hours. <laughs> but uh, luckily, we, it, that's not how it ended up happening. But So, so, so Ballpark crashed or something, and, and somebody posted on Twitter, Hey, Ballpark, um, your, your, your app's down. What gives? And it was like you know, 9.30 or 10 o'clock at night. And uh, Calvin, the you know the product guy that I was telling you about, uh, gets on the gets a notification and gets on the ballpark Twitter and responds, "Hey, yeah, I see that. Um, so it's probably going to be in the morning before we can fix that because I think our developers are asleep." Right <laughs> there, you go. <laughs> like, we set the expectation clearly, or he set set the expectation clearly that. Um, you know, I'm going to send an email and <laughs> I can't fix it myself. I may not be able to wake this person up. And they were like, um, 
thanks. I mean, appreciate your, uh, your, I mean, okay. Yeah. Small business. I get it. All right. Sorry. Like, sorry to bother you, but like, and that's not, it's not fantastic news, but at least you're telling the truth. Right. 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 And anyway, it was, it was a funny exchange. The, uh, the, the, it, it ended up working out. Okay. Because, um, the developer woke up and I don't know, rebooted, you know, whenever. Right? Yeah. Got it back up. But, um, you know, it was only down for 20 or 30 minutes, but you know, <laughs> I thought right. that, Fine exchange. It's on the ballpark Twitter. I mean, you can scroll through it and find it. <laughs> well, that is a powerful place to be too. That you do have a, a little bit bigger of a team uh, to mm-hmm. help help with some of that stuff too, which is uh, gives you some flexibility there. Um, have you had any of these acquisitions? Like, and you don't have to be specific to which one, but uh, underperform. I think you've kept all. I mean, I don't think any have gone under that you've acquired, right? But have any sort of um, you know slowly churned out and not been as profitable as you would have hoped? So that's a great question. And, and, and when I get really deep into talking about this one that always ends up coming up. Um, so I think based on my expectations for what they should be doing, the answer is no, but based on what people think they should be doing, um, yeah, they probably all slightly underperform. Um, but that's because, like, what I want out of the product is, is in, in my mind, like, a, like a, a huge success is something that grows 10, 20, 30% year over year. Yeah. And uh, very successful is, is something that grows 2, 5% year over year, right? I'm not trying to necessarily actively market and promote the products. I'm not investing in marketing, I'm not investing in sales. Uh, I will, you know, I am going to be experimenting in that and, and growing in that in that direction. Um, but as far as like measuring how successful they were, uh, based on what my criteria were in the original investment, then then no. Um, and the thing is, like worst case scenario, um, they service you know the debt, so to speak, for paying back their purchase price. Because when you lose, let's just say something crazy, like 10% of your customers, you know, and you got 500 customers, you still have 450 customers. Right. And you lose 45 the next year and, you know, 41 the next year. And so after three years of shrinking 10%, you're still at over 300 customers and you've paid your, your debt back or you've paid yourself back for the, for the purchase, you know, pretty quickly, even if you're shrinking. Right. Um, but I've had, um, uh, for, for example, I, I talk about this pretty openly, uh, Pulse has almost tripled. <laughs> um, and, uh, and it's been with, without any marketing or sales efforts, we just kind of made the app more stable and, and, um, and made some small you know, enhancements and, and, and whatnot to it. But see, that to me is like, not my expectation for what a product should do when I'm buying it. See, I didn't buy Pulse because I thought it was going to triple. I thought I bought Pulse because I thought there's no way that I can do a worse job than the previous owners because they're not investing much time into it. Mm-hmm. I'm not. I'm not going to necessarily promise to invest a ton of time into overhauling the product and bringing it up to like the best UX standards that today has to offer because that's very expensive. Instead, what I'm going to do is I'm going to take a product that has good usability, that has a good market fit, that has a value, and I'm going to accentuate that by making small adjustments and maintaining it. And and when there's an opportunity for something like a big overhaul, 
you know, I'll, I'll definitely consider it, but it's not part of what I'm factoring in when I look at something for a purchase. My question I answer is, if I didn't do too much to this, could I sustain it? I think what's funny is that uh, this model, I mean, I'm sure there's people out there doing it, right? Um, you've been prominent in our little sphere here with it, right? Uh, but, I mean, this is something very commonly done in other, you know, software areas. I mean, obviously even big companies like Adobe or whoever that just acquire apps over the years and bring them into the fold and, um, and then, you know, manage them and everything. But, uh, with the SaaS app, it's like, yeah, it's really much, it's nicer because the support burden is generally going to be a lot less than something like even like an Adobe product that's downloadable mm-hmm. and you have all the support of people on their own servers or their own computers and, all that kind of stuff, or if it's a B2C app and all the craziness that would ensue with support there, uh, you know, a B2B SaaS app, that's kind of a pretty straightforward thing that's not doing a lot of crazy, you know, API stuff or, or things like that is not going to have a real ton of technical support for the most part. So you get a lot of simpler questions and people in the sales process and those kind of questions, which are easily answered by, um, you know, folks yeah. who don't need a lot of training. I've gotten I've gotten kind of a formula for for that actually. So, on average, a 500 person or a 500 customer app B two B that's uh, you know going to be a good fit for me is probably going to have between 15 and 25 customer emails a week that need to be dealt with. Yeah, Sounds that's it. Right. Yeah. If you start getting into consumer apps or stuff with a lot of free accounts, that number goes up, and I'm less interested in it because. Customer support costs go up. takes more of Calvin's time. We might start to have to look at hiring somebody just to respond to emails because Calvin's also doing agency work for Simple Focus, um, you know, and he's just sort of, you know, a couple hours a day uh, doing email support for the products. For the last several months, he's been focused on a huge overhaul of Ballpark, actually. So this is one that, that doesn't fit our model right now. We saw an opportunity to go after a new market with Ballpark and, and instead of uh, just going after freelancers, we're going to start uh, going after agencies. And so we've been going through a huge major mm-hmm. ballpark for the last year. But that one's kind of an exception. Right. Well, that's also the biggest app, right? So it, no. it's, it's not the biggest app? No. No, Sifter's the biggest app. Sifter's, uh, well, Sifter's new. Sifter's huge. Mm. Interesting. But that's only what? That was like a month ago or something you bought that, right? A couple, three months ago? How long oh. did you buy that? Time flies. It's been almost seven months. Really? Mm-hmm. Look at that. Holy cow. Yeah. <laughs> so how's that, uh, how's that in, uh, coming into the fold? So Sifter is one of the more technical apps. And, um, and uh, it's, uh, you know, uh, Pulse, Ballpark, and Temper uh, are all, you know, basic CRUD apps. And then there's a little bit more going on with Sifter because, you know, you've got integrations with some developer tools and some transactional email stuff that's a little bit more complicated. Um, but it's also um, in, in, in fantastic shape. I mean, I can't say enough how good of a steward and caretaker Garrett was of Sifter over the years. He just really um, you know, ran it very professionally and kept, you know, kept his house really clean, you know, made it. Made it made it really great a great experience for us in the in the transition of ownership. And most of the other or all the other apps are pretty much like pretty pure business apps. This is their first that's kind of coder oriented, right? So how's that? I guess you don't do a lot between the apps cross marketing though, right? So I guess it's not really a huge huge you know, difference there. Yeah. So so Pulse was um, built by a, you know a, a web design 
agency originally, and when it you know got noticed on the scene and ten years ago, by the way, it's ten years old. Wow. Um, it was noticed by a lot of web designer and and product types because um, it launched too much fanfare through uh, an interesting little blog called One Month App, where these two guys set out to build an app in one month, mm-hmm. and uh, they grew it into a business over the the couple of years that followed that. But like uh, something like sixty or seventy percent of our customers are in the creative you know agency world. And for Pulse, even though it's a cash flow management app. And then Ballpark, obviously, is, is you know, freelance designers and freelance uh, freelancers and agencies use Ballpark, uh, creative agencies, design agencies, development agencies. And then a lot of um, product teams and marketing teams, uh, marketing agencies use Temper. And then Sifter is a issue tracking app for developers, for sure, but it's made for, you know, nimble teams and, and, and it's really got a strong customer base of agencies like Happy Cog and and um and and, and, and those types of you know just web design agencies using Sifter for mm-hmm. for so there's a huge market overlap in the products and that's also something I look for but it's not necessarily a requirement. Is that something that's gonna appeal to, you know, agencies. And since we're an agency, you know, we got some good insights into how agencies run. And the tools that are good, and these are all tools that we were users of. You know, I was a huge fan of them. With Pulse, how did you? I want to double back on that just because. How did it grow? Was it just like completely organic from just people unknown sources um, where it's grown over these last few years, or was there some actual like specific angle you took there? So originally, the way it got its original base of customers was because uh, 10 years ago, it was on the front page of Dig. Mm-hmm. And Jason Freed, you know, um, talked about it and uh, blogged about it. It's like, hey, this is something that more, you know, agencies need to do is get, get their own product off the ground. Because 10 years ago, that's when Basecamp was, you know, um, on, on its upward trajectory. And a lot of agencies wanted to um, build products. And so, you know, these guys, that's what they did. And they blogged about it. And the blog was very interesting and people could follow along. And so that's how they get their original, you know, traction, I guess. Mm-hmm. But then by the time they sold it to me, um, you know, both of the founders had moved on and had uh, other full-time stuff going on. One guy was going into the ministry full-time and another guy had a, you know, you know, big fancy job as a, you know, director of development. And, um, you know, the two of them, you know, splitting the revenue from the business didn't make sense. It wasn't big enough for them to be too motivated by it. And uh, they were kind of ready to move on to the next stage of their career. So we came up with a fair sales price. They sold it to me. And because they were like less engaged the last couple of years uh, that they were running it, you know, they're, emails to customers got a little bit shorter and they were a little bit slower to respond and they were busier, you know, and if it went down, it went down for, you know, six, eight, 12 hours at a time. And, and, um, but through all of that and without spending any money on marketing, people kept signing up for it and kept using it and stuck with it forever because it's a great product. It has a value there. When I got my hands on it, um, we focused on, you know, uh, three things, customer support, stability and page speed yeah. and those three things have tripled the business that's interesting we just cut churn right yes that makes sense it does doesn't it but they don't all work that well because 
Garrett, for as wonderful of a person he is and as great of a product person he is, there's not a lot of low-hanging fruit with Sifter. Sifter was already in great shape. Sifter already had great customer service. Sifter already performs well, you know. So it's not going to be as easy to grow something like Sifter right. because it's just a better product, like from day one. It's been better taken care of than Pulse. But we came in and we take really good care of Pulse now. It's sort of flattened out again, and it's found its comfortable size with good customer support and a lot of reliability. Sifter already had that stuff, so... But the good news is we didn't have to grow Sifter for it to make sense from a business perspective. It's been a, it's been a great product all along, and it, it'll continue to be a great product. Can I continue to add to it, too? Interesting. So every time I talk to you, it makes me just kind of like go, go buy some apps somewhere. <laughs> it's me in the mood to buy an app. Well, if you want to buy an app or if any of your listeners are you know uh, wanting to do something like that, feel free to... Um, you know, get in touch with me, whether it's over Twitter or hunting down an email address for me. It's pretty simple to figure out what uh, JD at Simple Focus's email might be. <laughs> hey, um, hold on. Before you say anything else, I want to just take a quick, I got I to do, do a sponsor. We got to pay the bills around here. We forgot about our own bills. I love sponsors. <laughs> All right. Today, as every show, in this current sort of fall run, sponsored by Linode, our very, very, very good friends at Linode, which JD should be running his apps on Linode if he's not. But um, Linode, Linode.com, virtual servers. Uh, now all the plans start two gigabytes. Two gigabyte RAM, base plan. That's the smallest one you can get, which still blows my mind. 10 bucks a month um, and just kind of goes up from there. It's still very affordable, even for really uh, huge servers. Um, and, uh, you know, great support actually had a, a problem uh, recently and the support got right back to me and we got it resolved super quick. So uh, shout out to the Linode support team. Um, but, you know, they recently moved from Zen to KVM. Everything's a lot faster in addition to you getting more more RAM and more uh, CPU power on every plan now. Um as, you know, as always, it's got all SSD storage, 40 gig uh, networking, all modern processors and hardware. Like I said, 24-7 support, seven-day money-back guarantee. So if you try and don't like it, you get your money back. Um, of course, if you go through our link, that'll be in the show notes, um, or you just use the offer code bootstrapped.fm, then you'll get uh, 20 bucks. Uh, I'm sorry, bootstrapped20 um, is the code, but just go through the link in the show notes you'll get uh, $20 off, which is two months of the base plan. Um, or you can even, you know, it's actually technically billed hourly. So if you want to spin it up and spin it back down um, to try some things out, you could totally do that. And you can make that 20 bucks last, you know, months and months. So definitely check it out. A ton of our listeners um, have, which is why they keep sponsoring us. So thanks to everybody who has already checked it out. And um, as we've mentioned before, Andre uses it. I use it for a bunch of servers. So uh, it's, it's a great service. And I, uh, I personally highly recommend it. Um, so give it a look, linode.com. Um, you can check, uh, check out, get the 20 bucks off at linode.com slash bootstrapped.fm. And we'll have that link in the uh, show notes. So thanks a lot to Linode. JD, do you, uh, do you watch comedians and cars getting coffee? <laughs> No, but I, 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 it sounds fantastic. So oh. it's a Jerry Seinfeld thing that he, he oh, does now wait. because yes, he can. I've, yes, I've seen this. Because uh, he has the, the amount of money that's, that allows him to do that. So me and Ian 
our target in life is to reach that level where you're just chill as fuck all day because you can just hang out with your friends and just be relaxed and you know go get coffee with them and chat <laughs> and then happen to put it on tv because you can so i asked matt weinberg this question it was posted by one of the uh, forum members um whether after you know years of running the consultancy whether he reached the point where he's not uh, worried all the time about keeping the pipeline full and, you know, whether he could make uh, salaries next cycle or whatever, or whether he reached that level of sort of, or near that level of relaxation where he says, all right, things will be fine. So I'm going to ask you the same question, whether you reached that with your combination of uh, agencies and products or whether you still worry about if, even if the bottom is going to fall out of something next month. Hmm. Well, I run a cash flow app, so <laughs> cash flow is always top of mind for me. <laughs> Uh, no, I, you know, some days I feel like I'm close to it and some days I feel like it's never going to happen. You know, there's an interesting, um, there's an interesting concept about, um, creative problem solving, creativity in general. Uh, and you'll have to help me hunt down the source for the show notes, but it was some documentary on the creative process where the, the guy being interviewed says that. The really scary thing about being a designer or a, you know, a creative person is that you're hired by a customer to do something and you don't know what it is you're going to do. You don't know how it's going to get done. You don't know what the end result will be. I, I feel that, that, that that's a very similar feeling to cash flow that I have for the business because I, I come from a creative background and I understand the fear that comes when someone brings you a, a project at the agency to do. And they say, hey, we've got $100,000 and we want the baddest ass website you've ever designed. And you say, yeah, we can do that. you know. But like nobody knows what that $100,000 is going to buy at the end of the day. There's this trust in a series of steps and processes that we go through as as humans um, that 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 going through the motions will produce a certain outcome and for me um, trying to tie that back to like the cash flow of the businesses in the agency world um, you do two types of work you do project work or you do like long-term engagements or contracts or whatever where you, you, you pin a 12-month deal and we do more project work and less of the stable ongoing relationships although we do you know try and, and, and work those deals out as well um, there's different reasons that a customer might, might want to do a long-term engagement versus a project but generally speaking I have to have a lot of trust in the mathematical formula that showing up to work every day, constantly working to kind of build your reputation and focus on, you know, treating people right in your company and treating your customers right and um, trying to get your name out there and shaking hands and networking and just showing up and putting in the hours will lead to enough opportunities to, uh, to support a business and make everybody's payroll. Um, and as far as pricing work, you know, there's, I think, a, a mathematical formula that 
you know, if you're doing 60 or 70% utilization at a hundred plus dollars an hour, you can keep the lights on at an agency and, and following these, these, these cow paths that, that other people have paved, um, brings me a lot of comfort and peace and knowing that if I just show up to work and do my job, that things will take care of themselves. So I think there's a lot of comfort in that. Um, there's certainly not a ton of, you know, warm and fuzzy comfort and security that comes with a $200,000 a month payroll, you know, and, 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 and knowing that like, you know, gosh, 10 years ago, if you had, and asked me how long I thought it would take to spend $200,000. I wouldn't have said three weeks, right? Mm. And as you grow a business, like numbers become numbers. They don't become like your relative scale of financial security or success. Numbers are just numbers and they're just part of a formula. Um, but I did, one of the reasons I got into the, the Pulse acquisition and have continued to buy the software companies is because they do provide a steady foundation of cash flow which supports a lot of the work that we do at the agency because um, it, we're, very, we're very convicted about our work and want to go above and beyond all the time, even when maybe there's not quite the budget for it. And um, part of my reason for being in business in the first place is to help you know, people, the, the employees and the staff and the community and all that around us you know, have opportunities to do what we were born to do. And if you're constantly worried about where, where your next project is coming from, you, you'll take anything. And so what I wanted to do was, you know, set up a cash flow foundation for the business through some of these apps that will enable us to focus on, you know, the craft and doing what, what makes us happy. And that's doing just A plus work. Hmm. And I think um, buying the apps has gone a long way towards stabilizing that and helping us rest easy at night. But I think it's hard to um, to say that you're ever fully comfortable. All right, I, I'll leave with one last like uh, thing that I came across recently. Um, they, they they somebody interviewed a bunch of people who who make different amounts of money and asked them three key questions. And one of those questions was, um, uh, like, how much how much more money do you want to make, and how happy are you? These are two of the questions, I think. And everybody on the happiness scale was like an eight or a nine, right? Everybody's pretty happy regardless of how much money they make today. And the answer to everyone's question um, about how much more money do you, do you want to make was, was, was what amounted to a little bit more. And so everybody's generally happy and everybody generally wants to make a little bit more money. And that was the takeaway from the research. I think I fall squarely in that bucket just like everybody else. All right. Ian, you got something? Any more questions? I could go on all day, but uh, I think we're we covered a lot of ground here. Uh, I, I, one last question would be: What do you do? You see your do you think you have an end game, so to speak? Are you fine with running both these, like having the product businesses and the consultancy? Do you think someday you could see just doing one over the other, or uh, we kind of see this as at least as far as you can see out? Uh, this will be kind of what you're doing is both both paths. Yeah, I think I'm going to continue to do both paths. Um, a lot of agencies 10 years ago wanted to shut down their agency and, and start a product because that was the dream. Let's get rid of the clients. Clients are, you know, trouble right. and unpredictable and unsteady cash flow. But the fact of the matter is I love running an agency. I love working on different things and new things and having all the challenges with that. I love the staff that's built up around that. Mm. And, um, 
and, and, and frankly, I enjoy running an agency. I also am a product person, and I really love products. So I don't see any reason to sort of um, stop doing one uh, and so I can focus on the other full-time or anything like that anytime soon. Uh, so that's the answer to that question. But as far as like the idea of, of, of an endgame, you know, it's something that, um, you know, I, I think about with, with when, when I think about my, my own ambition, and, and, and I think this applies to a lot of people. And, and the, there's this idea that ambition, uh, that the story I like to tell about ambition, that, that it's, it's, it's a mountain that doesn't have a top. And everybody's climbing this mountain. And there's always going to be somebody higher on the mountain who's accomplished more than you, who's more ambitious than you, who's higher on the mountain than you. And you're never going to get to the top. There, there is no peak to Mount Ambition. Right. And so what I'm trying to do in life and in business is, is, is find a nice resting point somewhere along the mountain that's, that's got a good view and, and, and park there and rest and enjoy the view. Um, and... And that doesn't mean that I won't start climbing, you know, Mount Ambition again. But I think there's a lot of peace and comfort that comes in, in, in understanding that, you know, you don't always have to be hustling, you know. Um, and so I think my goal for, for myself and my employees and my business and my family is to find a spot on the mountain that's ambitious enough, right? And just, and just be comfortable there for a while and enjoy myself because at the end of the day, you know, uh, not to end on a very bleak note, but we're all gonna die. Right. <laughs> and what does it matter how you know what my end game is? My end game is, I guess, one day I'm gonna pass away, and hopefully, I've left something of value for my children, and I've been a good example and help people along the way. There you go. That's a very nice little wrap up to <laughs> this week's boost shot. So. I'd say thanks a lot for coming on, JD. Really appreciate it. Very uh, insightful and uh, unique angle, as always. Uh, JD, where, where can people find you? Well, um, you know, you can find me on Twitter at JD Grafham. You can also uh, check out clearfunction.com and reach out to us there if you're interested in hiring us for some dev work, if you're interested in looking for UI work. Uh, from a company that does products and products only, you know, hit up simplefocus.com. And, uh, you know, I'll be monitoring both of those email addresses. Um, but if you're, you know, wanting to talk about, you know, SaaS apps or a deal you're looking at, or, you, you know, you just want to chat about what we talked about on the show, start with uh, Twitter. Uh, my DMs are wide open, so I don't have to be following you. Just hit me a private message or a public message, and we can just start a conversation there. Sounds good. Awesome. Thank you. Well, Thanks a lot, man. Hey, you guys are awesome. Thanks for having me. Thanks. Have a good one.